His was a life defined by acts of faith that would change the course of history. Join us as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on Abraham and the difficult journey of faith. We are finally uh, back in our study of Abraham, and I am pumped about it and thankful for it. Turn me up a tad bit in the monitors, Judith. Uh, The Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, verse number 17, if you'd turn there with me, Genesis 18, 17, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abram or Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now, we preached on Father's Day from verse number 19, so we won't take time to deal with this very much tonight, if at all, where God says, For I know him, that he will command his children and household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord said, Because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Boy, that's a question, isn't it? God, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse number 24, For peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city, wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and the righteous should uh, be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then will I spare all the place for their sake. And Abram answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Will thou destroy the city for a lack of five? And he said, If I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure, there shall be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for 40's sake. And he said unto them, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak. Peradventure, there shall be 30 found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. This is a degenerating negotiation. Verse 31. And he said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure, there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he, Abraham, said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet this once. Peradventure, or perhaps ten shall be found there. And the Lord said, and he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. The story is told of a young pastor who was in his first pastorate in the city of Philadelphia. He was visited one evening by a group of members from his congregation, and it's probably a little bit foreboding whenever a group of people show up at your house unannounced. And the spokesman for the group walked up to him in the sitting after they were invited into the house, and he said, Pastor, we have something to tell you. And the pastor said, Go ahead. He said, sir, with all due respect, you're not a strong preacher. And in the usual order of things, you will fail. You will not do well here. And then he said this, but a little group of us have covenanted together to meet every Sunday morning and seek God's blessing on your life and your preaching. Every Sunday morning, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God to bless you and to bless your preaching and that your preaching would be impactful and it would impact those around us. 
That little Sunday morning group would over time grow to 1,000 people who met every Sunday morning to pray for the preacher of the word of God. You say, well, who's the preacher? The preacher is one of the greatest preachers that has ever stood behind a pulpit in the United States of America, a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Now, you might not know about J. Wilbur Chapman, but let me be very, very honest with you. You owe a great debt to J. Wilbur Chapman. He is a phenomenal preacher of the gospel and a major cultural influence of his day and this day. I think it's interesting to note that a small little band of people began to pray And before the end of Dr. Chapman's ministry, 1,000 people met every Sunday morning to pray for the power of God to fall on the services. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson said this, he said, more things are wrought by prayer than ever this world dreams of. More things are wrought by prayer or brought about by prayer than ever this world dreams of. The world is totally changed by prayer. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in our text, we know this because we can read the chapters ahead. We know that they are about to be destroyed, but we learn something about the character of God, and that is that the character of God listens to the prayer of the people of God. I'm going to speak tonight on this subject of intercession intercession. When we talk about prayer, for most folks, it's probably the most difficult discipline in the Christian life, for most. It's easy in my own life. I find it easy to memorize scripture. I enjoy that. I find it easy to read scripture. I enjoy that. I enjoy the witnessing aspect of the Christian life. I love to give. I mean, I love to give. I enjoy that immensely. Uh, I love to preach the word. I try to be a good husband. I try to do all those things. But the most difficult spiritual discipline in my life is the discipline of prayer. The question has to be asked, how many of us are seriously, systematically praying for others? How many of us are seriously and systematically praying for others? Would you turn your Bibles with me this evening to 1 Timothy? Don't bring those up on the screen. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Would you bring it, turn with me in your Bible? I just want you to be used to turning in your Bible. Sometimes we get too screen dependent and can't find anything in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1, I exhort thee therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. You say, well, pastor, what men does he mean here? Well, obviously he would mean the men that you know. The men that you have uh, influence with or are influenced by, the folks that you're around, I I exhort thee, Timothy, that, that supplication, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that you may, that they may lead a quiet or that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. I would remind you that the leader of the world at the time who was in control of Ephesus and control of Paul and the known world was not a man of character. And yet Paul said, I want you to pray for him. Turn with me to the left in your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number 18, the scripture says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit 
and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You say, what's the supplication for all saints? It's basically intercession. I'm praying for the needs of another. I'm holding another person before the Lord. I'm bringing up their need, their request, what, what maybe they don't even know that they need. I'm bringing that before the Lord. Maybe I don't even know what they need, but I'm just asking God to bless, protect, help, strengthen, encourage, fulfill their needs. Whatever it is, I'm just asking God to help that saint. Turn over with me, if you would, to the left, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse number 32. This is Jesus talking to Peter. Verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But notice what Jesus says. Satan wants to destroy you, Peter. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. In short, as we move back to Genesis chapter 18, God has called us to be a people of prayer. God has additionally called us to be a people of intercession in a world that is intrinsically and maybe ubiquitously self-focused, that people are concerned about themselves, their own desires, their own wants, their own wishes, all of that. God has called us as people of God, as spiritual people who are followers of Jesus Christ. God has called us to be pray, uh, to pray and pray for the needs of others. It was John Wesley who said, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. I see people, even as I preach, even as I'm preaching now, I see some of you are like, oh, I need God to do this. I need God to do that. And, 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 I, and I want to say that God really does, Wesley's right. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. He is a God who wants to answer prayer. There are different types of prayer for sure. There's adoration where we lift up the name of Jesus. We adore him. We praise him. That ought to happen every day. As we sang tonight, we adored the Lord. I hope that when we sing, you actually are praying some of the songs. Music is to be a, a part of our worship. It's not just supposed to be something that we do. It's not supposed to be lifted up words or words that are mouthed out. It's not supposed to be robotic. It's supposed to be worshipful, the cry of the heart. Yet not I, but Christ in me. It was adoration. Should happen every day. A confession, confession of sin, confession of need, confession of, if you will, wicked thoughts, whatever the case may be, whenever there's sin, and God's reminded us of it, we need to be a people who confess that sin. And what I say to you, that if you're honest with yourself, you're probably confessing your sin a lot throughout the day. Sin of whatever it may be. We could go through the list in Galatians chapter 5. Anger, wrath, malice, evil speaking, filthy communication, lust, variance, all those things. We could go through that list. And all of us struggle with those. Some of will struggle more in one area than the other, but nobody is free from the struggle. And when we falter, we have to confess. Another type of prayer is thanksgiving. It's different than adoration. Adoration praises God for his character. Thanksgiving thanks the Lord for what he has done. We ought to be thankful for our salvation. You ought to be thankful if you're saved that you're not going to hell. If nothing else, just be thankful that you're not going to hell. You say, I don't have anything to give, be thankful for. You're not going to hell. That's a win at the end of the day. No matter what else happens in life, you could be thankful that when I die, I'll spend eternity if you're saved. I'll spend eternity with the Lord. That's an absolute win. You might have a house full of teenagers and all that you have to cling to is the fact that when you die, you're not going to hell. That might be all you get for a while. 
Pray for them to turn 30. No offense, teenagers. I love every one of you. We give our hearts. We give your parents a break every year. We take you to youth camp. Next year, it's $500. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Somebody said, that's cheap. (sighs) Thanksgiving. And then there's intercession. Supplication, petition would be asking the Lord. And then there is intercession. Intercession. Is praying for a believer who struggles. And often we wrestle in prayer on behalf of that believer or unbeliever. Intercession is a believer who struggles and wrestles often in prayer on behalf of another. Let me say it again. It's a believer who struggles and often wrestles in prayer on behalf of another. The key word in that definition or words in that definition are struggle often and wrestles. Intercession is not this. Lord, be with John Doe. He's got problems. In Jesus' name, amen. And John might have problems. His name being John Doe, not the least of them. But that's not intercession. Lord, you know my kids are about to drive me up the wall. Help me not to get there. In Jesus' name, amen. That's not intercession. Intercession, bring the definition back up just for a second. Intercession is a believer who struggles and often wrestles in prayer on behalf of another. An intercessor is someone fighting someone else's battle for them. It's someone fighting someone else's battle for them. Maybe a battle they don't even know they have. Maybe it's a battle that they do know they have. It's fine either way. But intercession is someone who's helping somebody else fight a battle or fighting a battle for them. That's what intercessors do. In order for intercession to take place, there are three people involved. There's the one who speaks or the one who prays. In this case, prayer. The one who is spoken to and the one who is spoken for. There's always three people involved. The one who speaks, the one who is spoken to, and the one who is spoken for. Intercession happens all the time in families. I can remember growing up and um, there was a time and my dad and I didn't communicate very well. And, and I remember one time that, that we had an argument and I was banished to my room. I think I was on restriction for 14 years. That's what he said. Like you're on restriction for 14 years. I looked at him. I'm like, dad, I'll be 28. He goes, yeah, we might let you out by then. And I was banished to my room and I went to my room and, and it wasn't too long till, My mother, this is going to shock some of you, she was never nice before this moment. She walked in my room and she said, what's going on? And I told her and she said, why are you, why did you have this fit in front of your father? I was in the wrong for sure. And and I, you know, trying to deal with emotions and figure all of that out. And I began to express to her and, and I could tell for the first time in my life that, that there was a softness to my mother. I'd never seen that before. Even at birth, I never saw it. But there, no, I'm serious. There was a softness to my mom that I, at that moment, that I thought, well, maybe, maybe mom will be an intercessor, an advocate for me. And, and I'll never forget this. We lived in Spokane, Washington. I was about 16 years old. I'd had two major moves in high school. That did not help my emotional stability at the moment. And kids in California and Oceanside. I loved California. I loved Oceanside. I loved living there. And then my dad went up to Spokane to start a church and they were just, they were fun and it was great, but it was very, very different and very, very challenging just to try to get acclimated to it. And, and I had some emotional struggle that was going on there. And when my mom left the room, this is what she said. She said, I'm going to go and talk to your dad for you and I'll see what we can do. You know what she did for me? She interceded on my behalf. 
Just a, a, a simple illustration to help you understand that intercession isn't just between man and God. We intercede all the time one for another. And truth be told, it's easier to intercede in, in most of our hearts, though much less effective. It is easier to intercede man to man than it is man to God. There are three suppositions or presuppositions when it comes to intercession. The need of the one spoken for, the power on the part of the one spoken to, and the contact of both parties by the one who speaks. The need, the power, the contact. In other words, if you intercede... Uh, let's, let's say that you go to court. You have an attorney who is interceding before the judge for you. If you go to court and your attorney starts interceding to the bailiff, he's not winning you any arguments because he's not speaking to the one who has the power. If you intercede for somebody that has a deep spiritual need, and all that you do is talk to them, and all that you do is, is visit with them, and you don't take their need before the Lord, you've not really interceded for them, you've just simply spoken to them. Why? Because intercession has three suppositions. The, the, the need of the one spoken for and the power of the one spoken to and the contact of the two groups. Hey, I know you have a need. I'm going to go talk to this individual and see if I can't make something happen. My mother leaving my room and saying, let's see what we can do with this. Well, we know this account in Genesis chapter 18 pretty well. We've been working this way for a while that God is about to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it seems like from the context, there's at the beginning of this, though God is omniscient, knows all and knows what is going to happen. There's still a human component here that God is going to destroy the city of Sodom with no regard for the righteous. And so God tells Abraham in Genesis eighteen twenty three or Genesis eighteen seventeen, or the Lord is speaking to his angel, shall I hide this thing from Abraham that I'm going to do? And Abraham's going to be, verse number 18, a great nation, and he'll raise his children, verse number 19, after him. And the Lord said, because the, then said to Abraham, because this cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is grievous, I will go down and see whether... They have done altogether according to the cry. And I just want to stop and say, as a, not as an aside, but it's a very clear note, that we said this this morning, and it's, it's very applicable tonight, that God does not judge without perfect information and perfect knowledge and perfect awareness as to what's going on. Don't think for a moment that when the judgment of God happens that God is missing a key component. It is not as though, verse number 21, that, that the Lord himself, now we believe this is a Christophany, we believe that Jesus Christ is talking to Abraham, some might say a theophany, either one, we wouldn't argue with that, but I believe this is a Christophany. Jesus did not need to come down and see whether uh, the things that were going on in the city of Sodom were really going on in the city of Sodom. He knew but he came down to help us understand something of his character, and his character is this. I'm not going to go off uh, half-cocked and just in an emotional outburst to do something. No, I'm going to get perfect information and perfect knowledge and perfect understanding. He's just helping us to see into his character. His character doesn't change at all, but he does help us to understand it. And by the way, the cry is great. The sin of the city is great. Now remember, Sodom was an uber-indulgent city, a perverse city, a city of, uh, of, of great vileness. They were a city that didn't care about the poor. They were ultimately very lazy. They did not protect themselves. They did not prepare for anything. They, they didn't care for the poor. They were lazy. They didn't help up the needy. They were just a, a vile, proud, arrogant group of people. And because of that, the cry of the effect of sin was great. Here's the deal. Understand this. Sin Sin seems really cool until suffering is, it begins. 
I'll never forget, Brother Burns, you and I were sitting up in the office one day. And I got an email from a lady. And she was in a distant state. Never met her before. And she wrote on the email, I don't know you. I have no connection with you. But I'm reaching out to you. uh, I'll never forget it. I'm reaching out to you. Because my brother is dying of AIDS in San Diego. No one will go see him. And we went to a Baptist church as children. You remember that. I think Brother Bill was around and we were there. And I'll, I'll never forget calling his sister on the phone and she told me about their life, how they grew up going to a Baptist church in Michigan somewhere. I didn't know the pastor. I didn't know the church. I, I don't know anything other than the state of Michigan other than everybody tells you where they live on a hand. Like I'm from here. I, okay, great. Yeah, good. That's where you're from in Michigan. Dad, literally, I, I knew nothing about it. I said, but how can I help your family? She said, well, my brother is dying and he would like some spiritual comfort. Tell me about your brother. Well, he's dying of AIDS. And he obviously had a, made a decision to go an alternate lifestyle, she said. And I know there's a lot of people who wouldn't go see him. And I'm just asking you, would you be willing to go visit with him? Absolutely we would. Absolutely we would. So I'll never forget the first day Brother Burns and I go. It's kind of in the North Park University, Hillcrest area. And I thought we were going to go to a nice apartment. You remember it was just a dump. The complex was a dump. There was trash everywhere, inside, outside. And we walked into this apartment. And we'd never gotten the age of the lady. I didn't ask her the age of the guy, either one. And sat down, called him by name. And I'm, I'm witnessing, I try to witness to him, but he's in and out of consciousness the whole time. And try to share the gospel with him as best I, not as best I knew how. I know how to share the gospel, but I, I'm trying to lead him to the Lord. But he's awake and asleep and awake and asleep and awake and asleep and not sure what he got. And his boyfriend was in the room and we we're trying to witness to him as well. And, and then... We just felt like after a while, it was just time for us to go. So we prayed and we left. And then I went back one time, Brother Byrne, and I think Bill went back another time. And, and we made several visits there. And I remember after one visit that I went, I looked at Burns and I said, man, I don't know, uh, but what do you think? Is that guy probably in his late 80s or early 90s? And Bernie looked at me and goes, what are you talking about? And normally he's nice. He doesn't respond like I do. I said, how old is he? He's like in his late 80s, early 90s. He goes, Pastor, stop joking around. I'm like, I'm not, what do you mean? I'm not joking around. If you saw the guy, you would have thought the same thing. I, and I literally said, do you not see? Are we seeing a different guy there? He said, you don't know. I said, no, I have no idea. He said, Pastor, the guy's 42 years old. 42 years old. I just went back into my room and I began to weep. And I understood something here. I understood the cry of the city of Sodom that sin seems really fun and really exciting and really engaging and very fun to be a part of. And there is pleasure in sin for a season. But make no mistake, there will be the cry of sin. Sodom will cry out. Don't think for a minute that simply because Hollywood makes something look, look nice and the mass media makes everything about sin seem to be pleasurable and fun. Make no mistake, there is a consequence for sin that cannot be avoided because God who is judge has set the consequence for sin and at the end state the consequence of sin is always death. And that's what Abraham is hearing from God. And the two men in verse number 22 turned their faces from Abraham, the two angels that were with the Lord, and they left, and Abraham stands with the Lord. And Abraham asked this rhetorical question in verse number 25, Will the, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? The word judge here is one who administers judgment. Will not the one who administers judgment of all the earth, will he not do right? Right in God's eyes? 
Will he not render, that's where the word right means, will he not render justice faithfully? Will not? And by the way, all judges of the earth are supposed to do right. They're all supposed to faithfully administer justice. They're all supposed to judge as though they are standing before the Lord. That's the idea of a judge. Shall not all, shall not the God or the judge of all the earth do the right thing? Of course he will. It's rhetorical. And so God says in verse 26, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then will I spare all the place for their sake. God cannot make a mistake. And God will not make an exception. Hudson Taylor had a phrase that he used. He had so many, but this one was one of the, what people say, one of the, Truths that formed his life. Learning to move man through God by prayer alone. It's really what Abraham is doing here. Learning to move man through God by prayer alone. Well, we're still in the introduction. I would say this. When it comes to prayer and intercession, most of us talk way too much because we don't believe God can move the heart. There's so much in churches today talking, manipulating, politicking, because we don't believe God can do what needs to be done. If you believe God works as the righteous judge, then the end result of that is prayer. If you believe God is the righteous judge, then the end result of that is prayer. If we fail to believe in God's power as the righteous judge, we will try to engineer change. We will work to make things happen via human engineering or manipulation or conniving or through efforts of our own or through control. And all the while, God is desiring to work to bring things to pass through intercession. Intercession has four basic principles. Four basic principles. We'll look at them tonight. There's way better messages on prayer, but this is what our text deals with, and, and I find it very helpful in my own heart and life. Number one, intercession rests in, the, in a relationship with God. Intercession rests in a relationship with God. Genesis chapter 15, verse number six, the scripture says this about Abraham, and he believed in the Lord and it was counted and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, 16. People have a relationship with God the same way Abraham did. People come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Abraham was looking forward to the Messiah. That's the whole point of the sacrifices. That's the whole point of what we've been looking at in our study from 12 all the way to 18, that Abraham looked forward to the coming Messiah. We look back at the finished work of Christ on the cross, but regardless of what direction the person was looking, people have a relationship with God and intercession rests on the person person in the middle, the one doing the interceding, having a relationship with God. We know that God is unchanging. He's in a steady state. He is immutable. We know that people are in need of prayer. That too is unchanging. People will be in need of prayer for the rest of our lives. As we pray, Here's the question. Are we in a right relationship with God? You have to be in a right relationship with God for God to hear your prayer. Are you? See, see you can't go from yelling and cussing out your kids to interceding for them. You, you can't go from, you know, manipulating your boss, your spouse, your kids, your employees, your friends, or whatever, to then suddenly praying for them. You can't have a dark heart and a clear conscience. I've had people say, well, pastor, I prayed for them. 
I prayed that they'd change. They didn't change. They, God can't even work on their heart. Maybe God, probably God never even heard your prayer. Turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Peter. Don't lose our place in the book of Genesis. 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three, verse number seven. The scripture says, likewise, verse number six, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, your wives, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Being married is a lifetime of learning giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, listen, that your prayers be not hindered. If your relationship with your spouse stinks, let me rephrase that. Men, if your relationship with your wife stinks, your prayer life stinks. No, did you hear what I said? Well, I don't know why God's not answered any of my prayer. Well, what kind of husband are you? Crummy husband, crummy prayer life. Your prayers are hindered. Hey, those of you that are single girls in the room tonight, don't marry a dude who's a spiritual loser. Don't give your heart to some dude that you're teaching like, like how to find the book of Genesis. Like you showed him where the index was. The Bible has tabs. He can't even spell Genesis. And you're like, I think he's got a heart for Jesus. I don't think he does. I can change him. No, 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 no. It sounds like a 60s song. Sorry. No, you can't change him. Only God can change him. And man, I have to ask the question. Is your... Prayer life hindered simply because of the way you treat your spouse. I mean, he says, I'm not trying to manipulate the text. You see it. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of this life that your prayers be not hindered. I don't know why my whole life is out of control. Well, when you got married, you determined to be a man of God for a woman of God for the rest of your stinking life. I'm like, well, I'm tired of it. Well, you're not done with it till the Lord takes you home. Like, well, being married to her, I hope it's sooner. Well, that's fine, bucko, but you're still stuck with her for the rest of your life. And you better stick with her according to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 7, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel. Honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel that your prayers be not hindered. Intercession rests on a relationship with God. If you notice verse number 19, Abraham is a man, back in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is a man who will raise his family for Christ. Abraham is grounded in grace. He's guided by the word. He's maintained by the goodness of the Lord. John chapter 15, verse number 14, Jesus says this, I call you friends if you do whatsoever I command you. If you do whatsoever I command you. I've called you friends, but the friendship is determined if you do what I tell you to do. Don't say you're my friend if you disobey in me. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, you don't have to obey me and I don't have to obey you, but we do have to obey Jesus and those who are his friends do obey him. And it's maintained by his goodness. I have this quote, and I think it fits really well, and I want to say it, so I'm going to. Assurance of salvation and disobedience never go hand in hand. The reason some of you so consistently struggle with whether or not you're truly saved is disobedience in your heart or life. God has called you to do something, and you don't want to do it. God has called you to give something, and you don't want to do it. God has called you to change, and you don't want to do it. He's brought conviction to your life, and you're just resistant, and you've walled Jesus off. You've stiff-armed him. You've built a, a hedge of protection around whatever that sin might be in your life, and you're going, I don't know why I'm struggling with assurance of salvation. Disobedience always brings about doubt. 
God calls us to obedience. Number two, intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. Verse number 17 in Genesis 18, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, saying he will be a great nation. Verse 23, Abraham drew near and said, will thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Most have wondered this question, as I have as well. If God is sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent, and omnibenevolent, so let me not use big theological words. If God knows everything, if God is everywhere, if he is all-powerful and all-loving, why then do I need to pray? I mean, come on, if you're honest, you've thought that. Now, I know you might not be honest enough, like you're like, oh, I don't want anybody to think that I've ever questioned the Lord. Okay, fine, well, I have. You can join my club later in secret. We'll be like underground honest Christians. We've struggled with that question, come on. Somebody give me an amen that's proud enough to say I'm weak. Thank you. I've wondered that. Why do I need to do this, Lord? Alistair Begg says this. I love this. It's so helpful. God requires intercessory prayer as a necessary wheel in the machinery of his providence. God requires intercessory prayer as a necessary wheel in the machinery of God's providence. God gives us the responsibility to move the will. Wheel. God gives us that responsibility. Pastor, are you saying that my prayer will change things? Yes. Absolutely. We see that clearly in this text. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah eventually got destroyed. Why did they get destroyed? Well, because Lot, there were at least eight in Lot's family, possibly more, we don't know. But there were at least eight in Lot's family with his wife and his four daughters and his two sons-in-law. And, and, and I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but it, it seems reasonable that Abraham thought, well, since Lot's lived in Sodom, certainly he's brought at least two to Christ, two to a point of trusting in Jehovah God. I mean, two people would have at least seen Lot's life because it's so drastically different than the world, and they would have been saved. At least two of them would have been saved. And so Abraham stops in Genesis 18 with 10. Now, if you say, Pastor, I don't know that you can prove that. I can't prove that at all, but I'm just saying, it seems reasonable to me that, that, Lot, or that Abraham is going, okay, Lot's definitely affected two people. Lot, his wife, his daughters, his sons-in-law, somebody. Two people have come to Christ. Two people are righteous. And, 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 and we're going to pray. And so, yes, Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed. But understand this. All of the righteous people were delivered. They were all delivered. You say, oh, Pastor, Lot's wife, she wasn't delivered. All she did was look back. Well, she looked back with fondness, missing Sodom and Gomorrah, which gives evidence that she wasn't righteous. Intercession is based on God's willingness to be approached. Why do we pray? Well, God has called us to. Now, every illustration, sometimes people will get a little miffed at illustrations, we use illustrations as a window into God's truth to help us understand it. But they're faulty. They fall apart really, really quickly. And this one will too, but I think it's helpful. If you can imagine that you have a safe deposit, safety deposit box and you put something valuable inside it, you put it inside its container, you have a key and the bank has a key. It's kind of what intercessory prayer is like. God has a key, you have a key. Now, again, it falls apart, but I think you get the idea. In order to get that thing out of the box, whatever that thing of value is, you have to put the key in, the bank has to put the key in, you both turn it, and then it unlocks. The bank can't, won't open it by itself, they can't, and you can't, un, you can't open it or unlock it without the bank, so you both need the key of the other person. In, in, in many ways, again, it's, it's not perfect, but in many ways, that's a, that's a, fair picture of what intercessory prayer is like. God has called us to the ministry of intercession. That's what James 5.16 says, the effectual fervent prayer 
of a righteous man availeth much. In Genesis 18, 17, as we think of this, God's willingness to be approached, God shares with Abraham, shall I hide from him the thing which I shall do? God shares his thoughts with his friends. This is John 15, 15, Jesus says, I've not called you servant for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I've called you friends for all things that I have heard of my father, I've made known unto you. Everything that I've heard of my father, I've not kept anything back from you guys. I've made it known unto you. I, you're, you're not my servants, you're my friends. Hey, have you ever had a thought about someone? Like just in the middle of the day. Like, like let's say you're at your job and your job is, I don't know, you're in an office somewhere and you... You have to work on a computer and, and you're just sitting at the computer doing whatever computer people do and you're doing your computer thing and then you start, you're just doing it and it's kind of robotic. I mean, you, you know what to do. It's not super hard. You've been doing it for a while. And then out of nowhere, a thought just comes into your head. Or, okay, this, this, this. You're a mom. And you're doing the greatest job there is. You're raising children and you're in the house and you're taking care of kids, whatever that looks like at that moment in time. And you're taking care of kids and then out of nowhere, just a thought comes into your mind about a person. The thought of a person comes into your mind. How many of you are like, oh yeah, I just think of people all the time. Just coming to my head on a regular basis. I think about people all the time. Am I, is this just a few of us? I mean, do you engineers go like, no, I have to factor that in and I have to put it in an equation and I give everybody a value on my Excel spreadsheet, A1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Oh, no, they didn't meet the qualification. I'm not thinking about anybody. That's what you call a narcissist. Um, anyway. But God brings people to our minds and thoughts to our minds. You ever think about somebody and you start maybe thinking about how you'd like to fix some problems in their life? And you start thinking like, oh, well, if they did this or if they did that or if they acted this way or if they acted that way, whatever the case may be, if they would do and we start to begin to think negative thoughts about someone and we try to fix someone, it it could be a spouse, it could be a parent, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a neighbor, somebody at church, it doesn't matter. But just God brings somebody to mind. You say, well, how do you know God brings them to mind? Well, because it's probably not Satan bringing them to mind. And they come to mind and we begin to think about that. Can I just tell you, if you're saved, God shares his thoughts with his friends. And could it not be that when God brings that thought to your mind, that he brings that thought to your mind in that moment in time so that you will pray for that individual? No, come on, did you hear what I said? Some of your marriages, your whole marriage would be different. If when every time you thought about your spouse, if, if the thought is negative, you immediately stopped and just began to pray for them. Could it be that God is trying to get you to pray for folks? God stirs you up. To pray for them. Because God shares his thoughts with his friends. And do you not think for a moment that God is speaking to you and opening his heart, his, 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 opening your mind to this person so that you will pray for them? We, we want to fix people, don't we? We want to fix people in accordance with the way we want people to be. Not with the way God wants them to be. As a general rule, everybody wants everybody else to fit into the mold that you've created for them in your own mind. Let's be honest, that's a true statement. 
That's how we like people to be. I want people to be like this. I want people to do this. I want people to say this. I want all of that. And God's like, whoa, 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 bucko. I don't want people to be like you. I want people to be like me or my son. And, and so should it not be that when God brings someone to mind or a situation to mind or a church service to mind or a lost friend to mind, should it be, shouldn't it be that we would stop right then, even if we have to keep working and even if we have to keep changing diapers or, or doing whatever it is that we do, even in meetings, even in church services, could it be that God just wants us to intercede for them on their behalf? I think we do way too much thinking about people and way too little interceding for the same folks. Well, pastor, I wouldn't even know what to pray for them. You're not a very good friend. Maybe you need to pray for them. God, please help them to walk in grace. Lord, I don't know what their need is right now, but I know that you do and you've brought them to my mind and, and, and Lord, I'm just asking that you would minister to them and help them, Lord. And maybe they're not saying, Lord, they're not saved. They need you. I pray diligently that they would come to you. If we believed in the ministry of intercession, I think that Matthew chapter seven, verse number 13, I quote it this morning, that says, wide is the gate or straight is the gate, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in there at. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. If we really believe that, we would begin to intercede for friends and family. If you really believe that many are on the road to hell, you would intercede for them. Oh, pastor, I mean, what, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to intercede for them. You're going to go to God on their behalf that he would convict them and change them and challenge them and, 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 and draw them, them to himself. Point number three, I've got to go real fast. Verse 27, Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Verse number 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken up upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Abraham's just bringing himself low. Number three, intercession demands humility. Why? Because you're not the one in power. You're not the one in charge. And in truth, you don't even know what God's doing. God had every right to look at Abraham and say, Abraham, I'm not doing any of that, dude. Shut up. Some of our intercession gets shut down and we have to be humble enough to let God shut it down. But it doesn't mean we stop interceding. John Stott said at every stage of our Christian development, at every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is the greatest enemy and humility the greatest friend. These will be short points. Abraham's prayer in verse 27 is not based on pride. It wasn't based on ease. His prayer was motivated by the glory of God and God's grace to man. In verse 27, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, and I am but dust, which am but dust and ashes. Pride takes innumerable forms, said one author, but has one end, self glorification that's the motive of pride the purpose of pride is to rob God of legitimate glory that is his and is he deserves to the proud person they seek to glorify themselves and not God thereby attempting in effect to deprive God of something that only he is worthy of receiving it was Jonathan Edwards who said, the pleasures of humility are really the most refined, inward, and exquisite delights in the world. An intercessor is a humble person because they know they can't fix it. They know they can't do anything about it. All they can do is go to God. They're not gonna nag. They're not gonna manipulate they're not going to yell. They're not going to scream. They're going to God. And finally, intercession requires perseverance. Notice verse 24. We'll just read part of it. Peradventure, there'll be 50 righteous within the city. Notice 28. Peradventure, there'll be, they'll lack five of the 50. Wilt thou destroy the city for a lack of five? 29. 
peradventure there should be 40 found there. Verse number 30, peradventure there shall be 30 found there. 31, peradventure there shall be 20 found there. Verse number 32, peradventure 10 shall be found there. Abraham went to the Lord. He wasn't being manipulative. He was showing great humility. So he continued to pray and he didn't stop praying. He kept going and going and praying and praying and praying and praying. How often do we pray once and move on? Oh, dear God, help grandma to be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. And we feel like we've done our spiritual duty. Dear God, help Bob, my boss, to Bob the boss to be saved. Dear God, uh, help my wife, she's struggling. And then we just move on and we've done our duty. God, my kids are really struggling right now and they're having to make life decisions and they're not doing it uh, as well as I would like to see them do. Help them. Okay, my hands are clean. I'm done. No, intercession perseveres. Intercession doesn't stop. Intercession keeps going. Intercession keeps praying when it seems like they're not praying. Intercession prays throughout the day and doesn't pray once and move on. Some of you have lost family members. Persevere. Don't quit. Keep praying. Don't quit. Some of you have folks you work with that are on their way to hell. Keep praying for them. Don't give up. It's not a one-hit wonder. They're not the milli vanilli of the spiritual world. They need you to keep praying for them. Some of you have friends who are really struggling. Keep praying for them. Some of you know that your spouse is struggling in an area. Keep praying for them. Some of you have financial needs. Persevere. Some of you know people who need great wisdom. Persevere. Your pastor needs the power of God in his life. Every time he preaches the word, every time somebody stands behind this pulpit to preach, we need the power of God in our life. Persevere. Some need courage, intercede. Our city needs revival. Our state needs revival. Our country needs revival. Whether we'll have it or not, I don't know. But we ought to be interceding for those folks. The 19th century, maybe the greatest man of faith in my mind, based on, I wasn't around then, but based on writing was a man named George Mueller. He's a famous preacher in London who opened many, many orphanages for children and saw thousands and thousands of young orphan souls in London come to Christ. Shortly after he got saved, he began to pray for his friends, five friends, it was a close group. After months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted to Christ. The fourth person, fourth man was 25 years later, Mueller saying he prayed every day for his soul, every day for 25 years. He persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth man. And throughout the 52 years from his salvation to his death, he never gave up hoping that his friend and praying for his friend to come to Christ. His faith was rewarded after 52 years of prayer. Soon after Mueller's funeral, his friend was saved. You say, do you think that had anything to do with prayer? I think it had everything to do with prayer. Everything. George Mueller was a man known for perseverance in prayer. Not only did he endure in prayer for lost friends, he endured in prayer for the lost of London, for miracles to happen in his ministry, for orphans to be saved. Growing up, we used to sing a song. Sometimes I, we just sing old songs sometimes because I want children to know them. We sing great songs at Canyon Ridge. I love them. There's a song we used to sing growing up It was always convicting to me, even as a kid. But it went like this. It goes like this. How long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? 
How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart felt no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? How long has it been since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven? How long since you knew that he'd answered you and would keep you the long night through? How long has it been since you woke with the dawn and felt that the days were the living? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you. I wonder if more praying would get done if less social media got done. Pastor, I just don't have time to pray. I have a feeling that if we looked at the time you spent on your phone or Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or whatever, I have a feeling you have plenty of time to pray. Matter of fact, I guarantee you, you do. But how long has it been? I wonder when we stand before the Lord, all of us, again, I open this with a personal confession that prayer is my my greatest struggle. I wonder when we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, who will judge everyone. I wonder for the believer if God will say, look at what could have happened had you just interceded. Had you just prayed. I brought them to your mind. I brought your son to your mind on this day and you were too busy. You were on Facebook. I'm not trying to make an issue out of it. I'm just saying. I I brought your lost friend to mind this day. They were actually having a conversation with a believer at that very moment. And and I was asking you to pray for them. And I needed your key in the lockbox to unlock the box. But you were too busy doing something else. God's called us to a ministry of intercession. Do you spend time for souls in your life, children's church workers that God allows you to teach on Sunday? Or is Sunday just a task? Do you pray for them? Daycare employee, those little kids that come into your class and Are you interceding that one day they would come to Christ and saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and their parents would get saved and their family would give their heart and life to Christ? I mean, are you interceding for them? Are you praying for them? Because nobody else is. And even if they are, they still need it. Are you praying for those little kids that come running into your class and call you teacher and hug your legs and high five you in a youth group? I mean, are you, are you interceding for them? Are you interceding for the kids in your trail life groups? Are you interceding for the, for the folks that God's given you influence with? We're getting ready to start community Bible study. Are you in the regular practice of daily intercession for people in your community Bible study? Or the people that you're discipling, are you interceding for them? How about those of you who watch the nursery? Which at Canyon Ridge is a lot of folks. Do you use that time to pray for those little souls that need Jesus in the nursery? Or is it just a time of fellowship and diaper changing? Or is it a spiritual experience where you're praying for that young child that you're holding, that baby boy or that baby girl, that toddler uh, of whatever gender, and you're praying for them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and give their heart fully to Christ and live a, a wonderfully clean, pure life before the Lord? Are you interceding for them? Those of you who sing and you stand up here on the platform, are you interceding for the crowd while you're singing? Are you asking God to work in their heart? Are you asking God to work in their life? Or are we just trying to hit notes and have timing and get it all right and sound really good? 
Are we interceding and asking God to do a work? Those of you who are greeters or ushers, is your heart heavy with the need for intercession as folks approach you from their cars and you don't know the condition of their soul? Oh, they might be nice or they might not be nice, but you have no idea about whether or not they've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They might even say they're a follower of Jesus, but you can't be sure that they're truly saved. I mean, are you, are you burdened with a need to intercede for them? Or is it just, let me give them a pamphlet and shake their hand and give them a smile and all that's well and good. But God has called us to be intercessors. Here's the sad reality as I conclude. Is that there are some people here who are going, yeah. I'm glad Zane's preaching next week because he goes too long. And then there are some people here like, I really need to improve. But thank God for those folks who say, God, break my heart for intercession. Some people here have now determined, even in the midst, that they're going to intercede, but they're going to intercede just for their family. What a shallow, selfish means of intercession. Let me say it again. A shallow, selfish means of intercession. But some folks have said, every time God brings somebody to mind, every time God shares something with me in my heart about a person, I'm just going to stop. I can't stop what I'm doing because i got to live life. But I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask God to work. I'll tell you, if you do that, it'll change your life. Not for the easier, probably. As I've studied this all week long and listened to messages on this passage and many of those messages were such a huge help and formed this message in my own soul, I find myself waking up in the middle of the night and the Lord bringing people to my mind. You have no idea how many people I've prayed for at 3.15 in the morning. And then I begin to beg God, Lord, if I pray for one more person, let me go back to sleep. God, give me an intercessor that will pray for my sleep life. Well, I pray for their spiritual life. And throughout the day and throughout the afternoon, in the middle of a workout, in the middle of of counseling, I had the great privilege of leading a friend to Christ on Thursday at Bird Rock Coffee Company just down the hill. It was awesome. And in the middle of our conversation, it hadn't turned yet to the gospel and I knew it was going there and I began to pray, God, please help, help my friend to come to you. Please convict his heart. Please work in his heart and life. And I asked him the uh, question that everybody should ask everybody that they cared about. I said, Matt, if you died tonight, are you 100% sure that you'd go to heaven? He said, I, I think I'm probably pretty good. I think I'm okay. And we talked about it. And he goes, now that you explained to me what the Bible says, I am absolutely not okay. He said, but I want to have a relationship with the Lord. I said, praise God, let me show you how. And just as I said that, two homeless people were fighting on other si- either sides of our table. A girl is yelling at a guy. A guy is yelling at a girl. We're in the middle of a spit war between two folks. And I began to think it's just like Satan to do this. So I asked, I'm literally, I'm witnessing to it. And I'm like, Lord, stop the distraction. You say, what happened? The Lord stopped the distraction. He says that happened every time. No, not every time, but it did that time. And I praise God and I give him glory for what he did at that moment. That's what God has called us to. Is there someone in your life that God's called you to intercede for? Thank you for listening. Hear more messages today at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time.